97.9 The Hill, WCHO, and the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media present Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. Sports Focus, dedicated to in-depth examination of issues of overriding importance in the sports world. Each week, we'll discuss problems and look for solutions in professional, collegiate, and amateur sports. From Carroll Hall on the Carolina campus, here's your host, UNC Journalism Professor Charlie Tuggle. Welcome to Sports Focus. Our topic today, how the NC2A treats student-athletes. Our guest, Richard Southall, who teaches sport management at the University of South Carolina. So, Richard, let's start with that very term, student-athlete. Uh, there, there, it's a controversial term, and is it made more so by COVID? Um, well, I think, Charlie, it's really interesting, um, and I've, I've seen a little bit more uh, use of the terminology um, by some folks recently during the COVID uh, pandemic because um, what we're asking specifically men's and women's basketball players and, and clearly uh, football players in the Power Five uh, sport is to uh, function as, as in many ways that term that came to light uh, when we first went into quote unquote lockdown and that sort of stuff. Uh, was that these athletes have been uh, uh, labeled essential workers almost. Um, and, and they're not using the term essential workers, but college football clearly in, in the power five level is an important industry, both in the community settings and clearly uh, in light of the media relations and the media rights deals uh, that they had to fulfill so it's, what's fascinating is that term was initially, as, as many folks listening probably know by now, that the term was created by the NCAA in the mid-1950s to forestall legal uh, challenges to uh, their collegiate model uh, and to forestall workers' compensation claims. And clearly, uh, in the pandemic situation, we, are, we have... Uh, working conditions that can be very hazardous uh, to their health uh, from the, the virus exposure, et cetera. So the, the way that the players are being um, portrayed um, to an increasing degree, they're being referred to as kids, uh, which is couched as a benign and affectionate reference term um, but, you know, there's some really interesting things that, that can uh, come to light when you refer to uh, adults uh, over the age of 18 who can fight in wars, who can vote, et cetera, et cetera. When you uh, infantilize them, uh, changes the dynamic uh, within the athletic department and with, within the institution of college sport. So nobody's forcing these kids to play. I mean, they have the opt out. They can do that. Trevor Lawrence has been adamant saying we want to play. And yet here he, you know, gets COVID. So do they feel like they have to play? Um, Well, you know, so much of these athletes identity uh, is wrapped up in their athletic role. Um, the, the concept of role engulfment uh, is a really useful way to view this. Uh, these players have worked uh, almost their entire life to get where they are. And the accomplishment of 
at, at any level, becoming a college athlete is a, a culmination of a lifelong sort of dream for many of these players. Uh, their families are invested in their uh, collegiate uh, experience. Uh, and so, you know, you don't have to, there's, there's no forcing, um, but there is a great deal of societal, institutional, familial uh, setting or pressure that, that, that is exerted on these guys. They, what else would they do uh, besides play? But, uh, and also I wanted to mention, you know, that, uh, well, some, some programs have shut down, uh, okay. you know, some of their, some of their sports, their, uh, sort of Olympic sports. And the argument was if, if football doesn't play, you might as well forget college athletic athletics altogether. Well, you know, there, there, there is a reason why we euphemistically call them revenue sports and non-revenue sports. And whether there is a profit, which is a misleading term, uh, but there's clearly an effect on the bottom line in athletic departments if your major sport, which when we're talking about uh, the, the, the athletic departments and the settings that have the uh, largest budgets, uh, those are also the, the athletic departments that have the largest revenue um, at stake in, in this situation. So, um, you know, he, he, <laughs> there's a reason why everybody went back and, and on the power five level is doing everything they can to have a college football season and they're rescheduling games or holding games on Tuesdays or this or that or whenever. And they're just trying to get through as much as possible. And in large measure, it's to satisfy those media contracts. Do you see that, though, as, as a potential that if football, hadn't, let's say football hadn't played at all, what would the effect have been on college athletics for the next two, three, five years? Well, there's 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 definitely a negative impact on the uh, on the revenue streams. Uh, if you wouldn't wouldn't play, they're already taking uh, a hit on on the ticket sales and the concessions and parking and all of those ancillary uh, revenue streams, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like trying to do the best you can with the situation that you can, but clearly, um, you know, folks are trying to do the best they can to, to hold a season as much as possible. I saw today, interestingly, that New Mexico State men's basketball team is going out of state because the guidelines in the state of New Mexico is that you can't have a gathering of more than 10 uh, people. So they're uh, heading to uh, a neighboring state to hold their training camp uh, and to play games. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion with Richard Southall about uh, college athletes, especially <clears throat> those who play in the Power Five and, and in the revenue sports. Richard, let's jump over to name image likeness. How do, that's something that we've been talking about for a couple of years at least. How does COVID affect all of that? Uh, the, uh, an athlete's ability to profit off his or her name, image, and likeness? 
Well, that's an interesting question, Charlie, because, um, you know, in, in one way, the, the, the pandemic has changed or taken the focus off of the name, image, and likeness uh, situation in, in various states and in, in Congress itself, because folks have other things to, to be worried about or thinking about right now. Uh, but I think that um, with the change to a much more of a digital environment, I think it actually will allow um, athletes um, who are tech savvy and social media savvy to actually monetize their name, image, and likeness uh, if, if there's um, new technologies, new ways of doing things that, that come to the forefront. What's fascinating to me looking at name, image, and likeness, however, is when you look at the uh, Division I Council um, name, image, and likeness concepts, uh, the, the majors, the way that each one of them is written, they're saying that they will allow athletes, and of course they use the term student athletes, but they're allowing and they're allowing and they're allowing, uh, saying that it's as if they are granting rights to these players that the players don't already have. So that's been fascinating to see how this name, image, and likeness discussion through the NCAA has been couched in a paternalistic fashion in which the adults, which goes to referring to these athletes as kids, um, it's almost as if they're giving them an allowance <laughs> and we are granting you this privilege to use your name, image, and likeness uh, for your benefit, uh, which is much different than saying that these athletes have this inherent right prior to coming into college and that the, the colleges and universities and the athletic departments should not uh, be allowed to abridge those rights. And so that's what I think has, has allowed has, has happened. Uh, and it seems as if Congress is buying into this because some of the, uh, and the state legislatures have bought into this concept of that the, the NCAA and other entities should be uh, the retainer of the rights. Whereas I think that the athletes have these rights inherently uh, and the athletic department folks just need to stay out of their way. Yeah, I did want to get a little more into that with you. You know, the idea of allowed, the only reason it would need to be allowed is because it has been disallowed <laughs> up to right. this point. We've been preventing you from, from doing this all these years. Uh, and now you're, you have us over a barrel and we're going to allow you to do this. Uh, because what we're trying to, to do, uh, again, the, the use of or allowing them to use their name, image, and likeness puts it out of the realm of an employer-employee relationship. And that's the real area that the NCAA has to make sure that is not allowed to be crossed. That's, that's the bright line. Because if you have an employer-employee relationship, then you have the workers' comp issue, and then you have the not-for-profit uh, issue, all of those sorts of things. And then insurance costs are, uh, you know, with disability and all of those issues. So 
the NCAA and the, and the athletic uh, departments and the conferences, they're all well aware that they have to keep their eye on the ball, which is not allowing these athletes to be viewed as employees. And why, why is that? Why, why can they not do that? Uh, uh, these kids, <laughs> there comes that term again, the, these young people work 40, 50, 60 hours a week at their sport. Right. Well, you know, it's one of those things that um, the, there's a notion called cognitive dissonance. Uh, and then another theory is identity protection cognition in which we're going to believe what people want to believe what they want to believe. And they're going to just believe it regardless of what the facts are on the ground. Um, sort of like, never, I, I won't get into anything about an election. So <laughs> it just seems that what, what happens is um, if, that, if, if that line is crossed, then the entire system is going to break down. So for example, why is it that um, athletes who don't generate revenue re get the same benefits as athletes that do? And then that opens up a whole can of worms comparing athletes in various sports to each other. And, you know, are the athletes that generate the revenue, do they deserve uh, additional compensation over athletes who, that don't generate revenue? So there's a whole tangled mass of uh, contradictions and inconsistencies, et cetera, et cetera, that, that are just bubbling beneath the surface, so to speak. Uh, and if, if you go too far in allowing these athletes to be viewed as employees, then there are, you know, I bet you many athletic department folks recognize that the whole quote unquote house of cards could uh, uh, be at stake. Sports Focus, we'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Focus with Charlie Tuggle. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Focus and our discussion about uh, the NC2A and how it treats, quote, air quotes, student athletes. Uh, Richard, we're, we've been talking about name, image, and likeness and, you know, uh, employment and the whole nine yards and uh, who benefits from it, who doesn't. When, with the whole name, image, likeness, when you talk about female athletes, I could see a Diana Tarazi when she was in college at UConn or Mia Hamm when bet. she was in college at UNC, maybe profiting off name image likeness. How many other female athletes or male athletes who play soccer or lacrosse or golf are, are going to benefit from this at all? Um, I, I think that, that that is um, an interesting question because I can see um, athletes uh, in many different sports, developing uh, a market niche or niche uh, as influencers, as social media uh, personalities. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's many opportunities from an entrepreneurial standpoint that I think this is a very good thing um, to have this name, image, and likeness expansion. Uh, or, or allowing the athletes to activate those rights. The problem being 
uh, is in some of the prohibitions um, is that the athletes, according to the NCA guidelines and some of the state legislation, uh, it wouldn't be permitted to use their school's marks uh, in their advertisements, endorsements, personal appearance or promotions, those sorts of things. So that really limits the athlete's ability to separate themselves from any other uh, type of influencer. So that prohibition is, I think, one of the, the things uh, that really needs to be addressed because I, I see uh, that as, as a major impediment to female athletes and athletes in uh, the Olympic sports being able to really monetize their NILs. All right. So let, let me ask you about that specifically. Uh, Alexa Graham, actually a student of mine, who is the number one player on the women's tennis team, just won the, uh, the ITA national championship. Mm -hmm. So if she were to do something with her name, image, and likeness, she couldn't say she played for Carolina? She could not use the school's marks. Uh, they can't participate in, in activities that conflicts with NCA legislation. Uh, and they could have a prohibition because the athletic department of school says that it conflicts with the school's values or more importantly, existing sponsorship arrangements. So um, UNC is a Nike school. Um, if she wanted to do some monetization of her NIL and do something with Under Armour, the NCA legislation is going to prohibit that, or the bylaw is going to prohibit that. Uh, and so there's, there's just way too many uh, restrictions placed upon the athletes. And the reason is, is because the athletes don't have any, any, any negotiation rights. Uh, this is not going to be collectively bargained. This is... Uh, you know, one-way communication. This is the adults telling the children, quote unquote, kids, uh, you know, at Thanksgiving to go sit at the children's table. And so still uh, the way that the NCAA uh, and many of the members of Congress are framing this, they still view these athletes as children. And so you, when, they, when you hear the use of the term kids, it's not just benign, it shapes the way we're viewing uh, and, and framing this whole name, image, and likeness discussion. Richard, we have just about a minute left. So uh, using, again, uh, Alexa Graham, my student, as an example, would the NC2A say you can't do this flat out, or would the NC2A say it's up to the university? Yeah, it seems to me that uh, this would be a school-by-school school or university-by-university university decision. Um, and the uh, the, the, the university would be required to disclose the activities that would be prohibited at the time an athlete is admitted or signs a financial aid agreement. Um, so this is the NCAA giving the, the broad structure to it, but it would be administered most notably by the individual athletic departments. So the, uh, the, the controversy continues as to whether this that's how right. meaningful this is that's that the right. NC2A is again, right. you know, putting air quotes around uh, your phrase, allowing students right. or students uh, or athletes who are students to do this. That does it for this edition of Sports Focus. Thanks to our guest, Richard Southall. Thanks also to producer Chip Sweeney. And as always, thanks to you for listening. 
Cheers. Thanks to Richard Southall, Mark Nagel, and Deborah Southall at the College Sport Research Institute at the University of South Carolina for their research and guidance and for access to CSRI's International Network of Sources. Sports Focus is a service of UNC's Hussman School of Journalism and Media.